17, Acts chapter 17, and the uh, second, our third lesson in our, really it's a series just for the month of August, dealing with uh, our minds and the transformed mind. So in Acts chapter 17, we're going to read the, ch- the entire uh, chapter, and then I'll have a short word of prayer, and then we'll, we're going to go get into this uh, this morning. Um, so let's just uh, let's just start by reading it. Acts chapter 17 and verse number one. The Bible says, "Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews." And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few." But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These have turned the world upside down, and are come thither also whom Jason hath received, and these do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. They that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest it. 
For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times therefore or before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our, our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto you gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We'll hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed, among them which was Dionysius and Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. All right, that's a lot of reading. Okay, Let's uh, pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for loving us. And then again, Lord, always we're thankful for your mercy and for your grace. I ask that you'd bless the adult Bible study this morning. Speak to our hearts through your word. Be with the Sunday school classes downstairs, both the teachers and the students. Open their hearts, Lord, to the uh, truths of your word. And we pray for any that might be downstairs, whether now or during junior church or in the morning worship service, that if there be any that are without Christ this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would bring and enlighten them to the truths of, of God's Word. They would realize their need of Christ, and today would be the day they'd reach out and be gloriously saved. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the precious blood that was shed 2,000 years ago. Please help me as I teach this lesson this morning. Uh, just give me guidance and direction. Give me utterance as Paul asked for in the book of Ephesians. Let me bring honor and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what's on your mind? Obviously, this is a great message that Paul preached here, and we could spend... I, just on the, I, was, just, I was thinking as I was rereading this early this morning, 
just on this sermon that he preached, you could put a whole series of um, Sunday school lessons together because there are so many topics in it. Everything he starts here, you notice when Paul preaches, if you ever read and study his messages, um, when he's preaching to the Gentiles, he always starts with creation. Uh, he doesn't necessarily do that when he preaches to the Jews, but he always starts there because he needed to preach and show them how he got here. Uh, and then he always ends up with where we're going. And uh, then you've everything else in the middle. But these were people that had all different ideas and all different thoughts on their mind. And he, he ends up here in Athens on Mars Hill. And, and um, from what a little bit of side reading that I did, while Athens at one time was kind of the center of everything that was happening in that part of the world, it was kind of on the decline. Although, obviously, there is still a lot going on here uh, in the city. And um, he is there, and his heart, as we read here, as he looked out and he saw all the paganism, his heart was just um, uh, burdened for them. And um, just as our hearts should be, because there's a lot of paganism in the world in which we live as well. And... Um, And he, he knows and he understands, I think, especially Paul, because of so much of his background, some of what they're thinking, but he's going to present to them the truth of the one true living God. And um, their thinking about God was wrong, and their thinking about God needed to be changed. Just like many of us, whenever we came to know Christ as our Savior, especially as adults, uh, if, you, if you got saved when you were an adult, your thinking about God probably prior to that uh, wasn't necessarily biblical. Uh, many people have a general idea about God, but they brought up in different isms and different philosophies. And the point of preaching the Word of God is to change people's thinking. And uh, so Paul's going to do that here. So on your handout, I have Acts chapter 17, 29 through 30. Paul says this, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth, every, commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Kind of an interesting verse. I'll say more about it later. That little phrase, that God winked at it. And I never really, I mean, I've read that many, many times. And, I, I, and one of the points, or the three points that I have here, we'll talk about that a little bit, that God would wink at that. It, meant, it actually means that God overlooked it. And, um, but as you'll see in the lesson, he doesn't overlook it any longer. Now, we're all born into this world as sinners. Amen? I think we can all agree on, on that. That's a Bible truth. We're all born here as sinners. So we're not only guilty of doing the wrong thing, but we have to remember that we're often guilty of thinking the wrong thing. Um, because our th clearly throughout the Scriptures, the Bible tells us that our thoughts, um, our thoughts are then, uh, our actions are a product of our thoughts. In fact, Jesus in the Beatitudes, he took it up a step further, if you remember, when we talked about some of that and, and, and preached about it or taught about it, you know, the whole idea of adultery. If a man thinks about adultery and lusts, those are all things that are in the mind. And Jesus said, even if you don't commit the act, the thinking of it is sinful. 
So, and, and then also look on your, your, your handouts. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says to the believers there, and you, he says, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, and then look what he says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So Paul gathers uh, these, it gets, goes to Mars Hill here, and he stands there in the midst of Mars Hill. And, um, and, and, and just as a side note, you might be wondering in verse 18, where it says, then certain philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, so kind of some of the leading philosophies of the day, and I'm no expert on them, but the Epicureans, they were, a, uh, they were all about pleasure. They didn't believe in God. They were basically atheists. And um, they, they just had the philosophy to, I guess, eat, drink, and be merry, enjoy life. Uh, maybe the, this, is, this is the whole idea of a resurrection. This is it. Uh, you live out your life, and at the end of your life, you're dead. You're gone. It's all over. Same kind of thinking exists today with many, many people. So, you know, like Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Different philosophies that come around. And then the Stoics, they believed that there was a God, but just one God. And um, it didn't, kind of like, it didn't matter how you got there, but there was just one God in all the world. And one writer summed it up this way. The Epicureans, their philosophy was to enjoy life. The uh, Stoics, their philosophy was to endure life. And uh, they were all about strict disciplines and, and um, different rules and, and, and things of that nature. Self-control. So this is kind of some of the philosophy that's there. And these people that were at Mars Hill, as we saw in verse 21, they... They spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear something new. They, well, Paul was welcome to come and to preach. They wanted to hear from everybody. What, what was this person thinking? And what was this person thinking? And what was this guy's philosophy? Or, and so on and so forth. So when we see here Paul and he presents this message to them, kind of I thought as I was putting this together this past week that this kind of lends itself to our last series as well that we talked about fishing for men. And the idea when we're presenting the gospel to people or, or bringing people to hear the gospel, we're presenting to them the same, obviously the same points that Paul's bringing out in this message here. And I just wanted to zero in today on just a couple of these, these verses here and uh, to think about it. But I do also, just again as a side note, verse 26, the Bible says when Paul preached, he hath made one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. So Paul reminds us here also that there are not different races of people. There's only one race of people, the human race. Okay, when I go to the doctor every year, they give you this form and there's a question that says, what, they, they fill in the blank, what race are you? And so they have Hispanic, the whole list. I won't answer the question. I talked to my doctor. I said, there are no different races. We're all one race. 
different people groups. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just a, I'm just chasing a rabbit. I know, I'm here. But you understand what I'm saying? And, um, you know, down through history, there were Christians who were um, what we would call racist. And uh, that was a great sin, you know, a great sin in our own country of racism. So we're going to be mindful of that. I mean, I, I, when I grew up in New Jersey, there was all kinds of people. That's true. Part of our church history in the country is, is exactly that. There was differences of opinion, the northern churches, the southern. And, I, and, and I'll just leave it at that, and just a reminder of that. But Paul finishes up this sermon here, and it's just these three things. He presents first a living God. And um, 1729, he says this, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art or man's devices. Now, when Paul, you know, today, if you travel to this area of the, of the world or even in the museums in our own country, you'll see some of these relics and we look at them as art. You know, some of the sculptures and, and things of that nature. But there are people who are worshiping these things. And, um, and you and I, as we sit here and we think, well, how is it that people could worship objects like that and idolize objects like that? But, in, in, in that? but people, by the way, still do in the world in which we live. If you travel to different places and even in our own country, people will bow down. Even in, listen, in, in a real sense, in Catholicism, people bow down before what I would consider an idol. And... Um, and, and, and pray, and, and, and some of us were talking about John the Baptist the other day for some reason. There's some quote-unquote shrine where supposedly John the Baptist's head is in that shrine. And people will, will worship there. It's, it's a real form of idolatry. And, um, and, but in, and in Paul's day, there was idolatry everywhere. And he, had, he was addressing that to, the, to them there. Um, and, he, and he says to them, he's trying to get the point across to them that, listen, you're worshiping the gold, the silver, the stone, the graven images, and the art. But the God that I worship, he says, it's, he's a living God. Now, what is, we may not today have bowed down to a statue, but there are many things that we can make idols in our life. Right? Like what? What are some things in our lives that, or even in our culture, that we idolize? Entertainment and entertainers we can idolize, correct? What else? Money. Yes, yeah, so when it said here that, uh, I was thinking of that, when it said these idols are made of gold and silver, well, the idol may not be gold and silver today, but people still idolize money. And uh, yes? Vehicles, yeah. People idolize vehicles. Yeah. What else? 
Go ahead, Bill. You want to say it? Go ahead. Girls? Yeah. And, well, that, that it, people who are, for instance, and this is not the whole of it, but people who, for instance, are entrapped in the sin of, a, of pornography, for instance, that in a sense, they're, they're idolizing that. Or, um, you know, it's, it, always, it always amazes me the hypocrisy of like the entertainment industry and, and this, what was the women's movement called that just was taking place? Um, the Me Too movement, is that what? So, you know, you, we heard about the Me Too movement and, you know, a lot of these actresses spoke out finally about how they were um, being treated. But at the same time, they present themselves, and it's just as women, it's not just women, it's men as well. They present themselves in a way that causes people to idolize them, right? Isn't it kind of like a mixed message? Um, you know, some of the Christian entertainers sometimes, sometimes it's just like, I don't quite get the message that's being sent. Ethan, you, you were going to say something? Oh, I was going to say, I was thinking that a lot of people, just relationships in general, where they're looking for their spouse or their, their partner to meet that need down the back. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest ones. Yeah. yeah. What else? Anything else? You think that somebody didn't think of? Sports? Did somebody say sports? It's a big big thing that people idolize today. So there are idols that we have, and, uh, and, and these idols are just the same. Your money can't talk to you. You know, that's the old saying, money talks, not really. Um, take your Bibles and go to the book of uh, Psalms. Psalms chapter 115. I love what the psalmist said about idols, Psalm 115. Some people idolize education. Now, I'm all for education, but sometimes, do you understand what I mean? Because someone has a quote-unquote degree that, that supposedly makes them an expert. And sometimes it does. But sometimes it doesn't. They can be wrong. Uh, Psalm 115 and verse, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 115 verses 1 through 8. Not unto us, o, o, o Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. And this, of course, is what really Paul and his message is trying to get across to those people at Mars Hill. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. That they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. So the psalmist he says, listen, they, they worship all these things that have no eyes, no ears. They can't smell, they can't. But they're just like them. They, they're just insensitive There's the, to the one true living God. 
and uh, the evidence of his of his existence. And um, so I just wanted to share that with you. Go back to Acts chapter number uh, seventeen. So Paul would write, for instance, to the church in Corinth. He said, "What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God had said, I will dwell with them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Or he commends the church in Thessalonica, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God to serve, or turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So what, how does this relate to us and as believers? So I think, number one, we should be careful that we don't have idols in our lives because it's perfectly um, possible that we could have idols in our lives. So we need to always be aware of that. But on the other hand, when we're sharing our faith with people and we're presenting to them the one true living God, we're trying to change their mind. And our actions and how we relate to things, that's what helps people. It's important for us to speak the truth, but it's also important for us to act out the truth. So here's a great example, I believe, in the Old Testament. And um, you remember what happened with Daniel and King Darius, right? Darius, or King, Darius makes Daniel one of three presidents. And then the other presidents and some of the other rulers there of that time get jealous of Daniel. And so they go to the king kind of secretly and they say to the king, King, make a decree that, uh, forgive me, I forgot the amount of time, I think it was 30 days, that no one prays to you for 30 days. Or no one makes any, uh, excuse me, no one makes any request but to you for 30 days. Well, we know that Daniel was a man who prayed three times a day and he didn't mind people seeing him pray. And they knew that. And it was a way for him to get trapped. And so they trapped Daniel. And you remember what happens. They go back to the king. They say, oh, king, you made this decree and the, and the law of the Medes or the Persians says you can't, you can't go back on it. And Daniel's been praying to his God three times a day. And now the king, I'm sure at that moment, regrets and maybe he, he's kind of figured this out that he's been trapped, and Daniel, who he really cared for, he's been trapped. But Daniel was not going to, because of the rules and the culture of that day, Daniel was not going to take his faith and kind of put it to the sideline. And so, what happens? You know the story. Daniel is in the den of lions. And um, Darius, who I don't believe was yet a believer, Darius... He, he basically says, if you read it in Daniel chapter 6, he says, Daniel, I'm, I'm trusting that your God is going to spare your life. And of course, we know that that's exactly what happened. And Daniel, the lion's mouths are shut. And um, But what happens to Darius? Anybody remember without us turning there? Because we don't have time to look at it all. What does Darius do? Yeah, he stayed up all night, yep. Yep, true. What else, though? Yeah, that there's one true living God. And so, we could, I guess, debate whether or not Darius had 
belief or not, but, but he sure seemed to have now belief in the one true living God. And so my point is, there was a lot of idolatry then too, but Daniel was not going to be taken up in the idolatry. And he changed people's lives. He changed the king's life and who knows how many others. So that's the point. That's what, Dan, that's what Paul's trying to do. That's what you and I are trying to do in our lives. We're trying to show people they may not bow down to certain, they may, literally to idols, although many of our missionaries, they go to countries where people are still worshiping idols. And that's what they're doing. They're changing their minds. And so he presents that to them here. But he also presents a long-suffering God. Look at, look at verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. We often say that God is a God of second chances. Amen? But many times He's a God of third, fourth, and fifth chances. And I'm thankful for that. I know in my own life I'm very thankful for that. Because uh, I'm glad that God is not a one-and-done God. Or else many of us would be in trouble. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. I read it. I'll just take it, uh, this man's word for it. But he said that he felt that the average person has to hear the Gospel 40 times to come to know Christ. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But especially today in the day in which we live. I know when we were in Belarus um, 22 years ago, they, the missionaries there told us, it is absolutely rare that you're going to present the gospel to someone and they're going to receive Christ as their Savior. They need to sit under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. I know many of the European countries, uh, especially those that were under communistic and atheistic rule, that's so true. Because they have really no basis. And I've always contended, you know, there's a great, in the 1940s and into the 50s and even into the early 60s, there was a... Um, in the United States, there were a lot of churches. It was a, it was a great time for churches to, to um, be established and to grow quickly. And a lot of that had to do, if you study some of the sociology behind that, many people in those years were moving from the country. They were moving to the city. The country was, the, was more industrialized. There was more jobs in the factories. So you had a lot of these people moving from areas where they at least, it, it was very culturally accepted to be raised and to go to church. Some of these churches necessarily were not really um, strong on evangelistic messages, but the basis of the Word of God was being preached and taught. And so now there's a great evangelical movement. Uh, I hate to use this term, but I'll use it because I'm tired and I can't think of a better term. There was a great movement for soul winning, I mean, bringing people to Christ. And, and, and personally, that would all have to have been a great moving of the Holy Spirit. And many people, it seemed, were coming to Christ and churches were growing. But we don't live, by and large, in that culture any longer. We live, especially in New England, where many times people need to hear the gospel because they come from either very, quote-unquote, religious backgrounds or from no religious background whatsoever. So... They have, to, they have to be instructed and the Word of God has to be preached. And I'm not... I'm always careful with this too. I mean, the, it's all a work of the Holy Spirit. So the reality is um, the Gospel could be preached and someone could get saved right then and there. But that's the Holy Spirit that's doing that. But in, in the text here we saw 
that Paul was reasoning with them out of the Scriptures. And he was showing them from the Word of God. In sales, I read this many years ago when I was in business, in sales, um, when, people, when companies hire salespeople, they would rather hire salespeople that never were in sales than salespeople who were already in sales. And their philosophy, whether it was right or wrong, I don't know, but their philosophy was if they came from a company that did a poor job of training them, they have to unteach them what they learned and then teach them what their philosophy of sales is. Well, somewhat in Christianity, it's the same way. When we're preaching and teaching people, if they come from either, uh, even if they, if they come from a casual like background, they have a, an idea of who God is and what God's all about. Sometimes you have to unteach them that before you can teach them the truth. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? Or if they come from a religious background, it's the same thing. They try to plug in their what they have into. So the point of all this is we just sometimes need to be patient. And, uh, and whether it's that or whatever the issue is, because it says that God winked at this time of idolatry. I looked that word up, and it says that God actually he kind of overlooked it. And um, well, that's just kind of an interesting thought, because you always wonder about, well, what about people that have never heard the gospel, where there's been no revelation of the truth of God in the sense that we know who Jesus is. It's an interesting thought there. That's a whole other lesson for another time. But the patience, the long-suffering of God, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Sometimes when we're dealing with people, we need to be quick not to jump to conclusions and to be patient. Paul here is dealing with them, and he's dealing with their issues. He's preaching to them, and he's reminding them that not only is there one true living God, but, but this God has been patient. But then, quickly as we finish up here, he says this in verse 30 as well. But now, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. And here he presents a lawful God. We're really out of time, so I, I, uh, I can't really get into this whole point here, but I read this this week too, and I liked it. I read this earlier in the week. It said, this writer said, sin is never judged by the way we see it, but sin is judged by the way God sees it. And um, God sees it. But, but, but how do we know? And I guess the point I was going to try to get is, is we have the Word of God. What is Paul? If you notice in that chapter, a number of times it said they searched the Scriptures, they searched the Scriptures, they searched the Scriptures. So everything that we do in life is about searching the Scriptures. And what does the Word of God say? And that's what Paul's pointing them to here. And, the, and our friends, our co-workers, the people we're trying to bring to Christ, the people we're trying to influence, what does the Word of God say? Paul, and I'll just finish with this. Look at 2 Corinthians on your handout. Paul was dealing with this issue with people who were giving him a hard time about his apostleship. In fact, if time allowed, we could go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The earlier verses are the verses that Paul says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And 
he's dealing with the mind and dealing with thinking there. But then he says this, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure. But according to, and then I have highlighted on your handout, the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us. A measure to reach even unto you. In other words, Paul is saying this. You want to measure us, measure us by what the Bible says, by what the Word of God says. Measure us that way. Not by, you know, I guess there was this group of people that they thought that they were better than Paul, more spiritual than Paul. And um, Paul says, you know, they're going to, again, if you read it, I'm not going to boast about these things. If they want to boast about these things, go right ahead. This is, I'm just going to measure my ministry by whatever the Word of God says. And so, back to the message that, that, that Paul's preaching there, he presents them a living God, a long-suffering God, but he also says there's, there's, a, there's a lawful God. And, and in his Word, it tells us, and specifically to these people that he's dealing with in, in Acts chapter 17, that yeah, there was a time that you were ignorant about what God's Word says, but now, I'm presenting to you the truth. And now, even though God at one time winked at this, now he commands us, this is not a suggestion, Paul says, he commands all men everywhere to repent. So, you know, when we're dealing with people and trying to bring them to Christ or we're witnessing or presenting ourselves, uh, that's, that's, where you, that's where they've got to be brought to. We've got to be patient with them because God's a patient God. We presented them the living God, but at some point you get to the end where it says, listen, here it is though what God's word says. There is a heaven to gain, and there is a hell there, and there's a hell to gain if you reject Christ. And uh, so, because what are we doing? We're trying to change the thinking of people. And it's by what we say, it's by our actions, all that we do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, bless the morning worship service, let it bring honor and glory to you, is what we do and say. And we pray, Lord, as we, again, just sit under the preaching of your word, and uh, those that come in that have never received Christ as their Savior, we, we do pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd move on their hearts and cause them to realize that without Christ there's no hope, and that he is the one true living God, and they need to put their faith and trust in the finished work of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.